0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hello, hello. This episode is sponsored by italki, and so here is a message about them in order to encourage you to use their services as part of your English development. So we all know a few things about learning English. Uh, Number one, if you don't use it, you lose it, so you've got to practice. Number two, the best practice that you can get is to actually uh, engage English, in conversation with real people, not just doing exercises in a book or something. Number three is that you need to do it regularly. So try to make it a regular part of your routine. Number four is that it helps while you practice... If you're comfortable, if you're at ease and working in a way that suits you. And with iTalkie, you can do all of those things. By having lessons or conversations on italki, you can practice your English in a very natural way by talking to real teachers and native speakers. You can do it as often as you like. You can do it in a way that suits you personally personally. And also, you can do it in the comfortable and familiar surroundings of your own home, if you like, because it's all done through Skype. And remember that italki are offering all of you, my listeners, a free lesson. Get that offer by going to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. So, here's a new episode of the podcast and just before we start the jingle... I just want to say that I predict that this is going to be a difficult one. I would categorise this episode as an advanced level episode, in my opinion. It's a film club episode with uh, my brother, James, about one of our favourite films. I've been meaning to do an episode, a full episode, about this film for a long time because I enjoy it so much. It's a classic of British cinema and I want you to be able to enjoy it too. The thing is, it's notoriously hard for learners of English to understand, and it's notoriously hard to explain its appeal to those who haven't seen it. I'll explain more in the episode, but I just wanted to say, be warned, this could be quite a tricky episode, just because you'll hear my brother, our friend, and me, discussing this complicated film, attempting to explain it to you, and probably making references to things that you may never have even seen – And there are a few clips from the film as well. I think this could even be more difficult than the episode that I did with my dad about the rules of cricket. But I've made an effort to make it interesting to listen to, and we're very passionate about this film. We sincerely love it, and I hope that that comes through. The whole time I was recording this, though, I was thinking, oh, this will be difficult for some of my listeners to follow but I'm publishing it here just because I really do want to share our enthusiasm about this film with you. Even if you don't understand all of it, I still hope that you enjoy listening to us talking enthusiastically about one of our favourite things. Okay, so strap in, get ready for a difficult one, and here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be talking about a cult classic of British cinema, a film called With Nail and I. This is a slightly ambitious episode because, in my experience, this film is usually very difficult for learners of English to fully appreciate. Even the title of the film somehow fails to register with many people when I tell them. For example, one of my students might ask me, uh, can you recommend some British films? And I say, yes, definitely. You should watch with nail and I, and the person's face creases into an expression of what, what was that you just said with nail and I, I repeat, But still, this clearly just seems like a noise to this person. He doesn't know what to write. He doesn't know how many words that is, with nail and I. He doesn't even know how to spell it. He's lost for a moment, so I write it on the board, with nail and I. Still, this doesn't help much. The person doesn't even recognise the word with nail. It's difficult to spell. It's difficult to pronounce. It doesn't seem to mean anything. And then I think well, there's no way this guy's going to enjoy this film. He can't even get past the title. But something inside me, a voice inside me says, Luke, Luke, I am your father. No, it says, Luke, you need to make these people watch this film. It's your duty as a British person teaching people your language and culture. These people need to see this film. They need to know what a Camberwell Carrot is. They need to know about... Cake and fine wine. They need to know why all hairdressers are under employment of the government. It's your duty, Luke, to teach these people about the wonderful world of Withnail and I, even if they don't want it. So now I feel duty bound to tell you about this cult British film. By the way, the title of the film is Withnail and I, and these are just the two characters in the film. So there's Withnail and another guy, and he's simply referred to as I, because he's kind of the main character. If you're interested in British films, if you like slightly dark comedies with good acting, interesting characters, an excellent script, and some top-level swearing, then this film is for you. You might never have heard of it, I realise, and that's partly why I'm doing this episode. I like to recommend things that you might not know. With Nell and I is a cult film, which means that it's very, very popular with a certain group of people. It's not a mass appeal sort of film. It might not be the film that you think of when you consider typical British films. You might think of something like Love Actually or a Jane Austen adapt, um, a Jane Austen adaptation. But with Nell and I is a film that you will definitely know if you're a proper lover of British films. It's a cult classic, and those who love it really love it with a passion. As if they've lived the film themselves in their own lives. But not everybody gets it. Uh, certainly in the UK, it is very highly regarded by people who have a special love for films. But it's not like, it's not a film like Four Weddings and a Funeral or James Bond, which seem to appeal to everybody. Plenty of Brits don't get this film. Also, learners of English hardly ever know about it, because in my experience, most learners of English understand British cinema as things like Hugh Grant films or Harry Potter or even Mr. Bean. It can be a difficult film to understand if you're not a native speaker from the UK. It's also not a very well-known film in the United States. But as I said, it is a cult success in the UK. Cult. So the word cult has got two meanings. Uh, It can be a noun or an adjective. The noun is basically a sort of small religious group which is devoted to a particular person, that's a cult. But then when cult is used as an adjective, for example, a cult film, uh, then it means that this film is extremely popular with a certain group of people. So, what kinds of people like this film with Nail and I? Why do people love this film so much? What is the appeal of it? What can this film tell us about British culture? Why should you, as a learner of English, take any interest in this film at all? How can you learn some real British English from this? Let's find out answers to those questions in this episode of Luke's Film Club on Luke's English Podcast, all about Withnail and I. Now, I'm a huge Withnail and I fan, but in this episode, I'm also joined by several other Withnail fans who are very keen to talk to you about one of their favourite films. Those two fans are my brother James and his friend Will. And I just sincerely hope that we can somehow explain this, fi- this film to you and its appeal and also make this interesting for you to listen to, which might be hard considering it's basically three blokes with quite similar voices talking about an obscure film that you've probably never seen. But in any case, let's get started and let's talk to James and Will.
2: A delightful weekend in the country. You are cordially invited to spend a carefree weekend in the English countryside. Bask in the warm sunshine. We've gone on holiday by mistake. Enjoy the rustic pleasure of country living. It's going to be so cold in here. Like Greenland in here.
0: Wants to get down there and have sex with those cows. Ah!
2: Take a fine varietal wine. Oh, drunk. I assure you I'm not, officer. I've only had a few ales. Get in the back of the back! Take lunch at a charming pub. We want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here, and we want them now. Fraternize with cheery locals. I don't care where you come from! Ponce! Experience culinary pleasure. I can make it die. There is, you will agree... Something je ne sais quoi about a firm young carrot. Fish in the region's streams. do threaten me with a dead fish. With Lil and I, a trip worth taking. What absolute twaddle.
1: Hello, James and Will. How are you today? Hello. Hello. I'm very well, personally. I'm also splendid. Very glad to hear it. So can you just tell me whereabouts you guys are and what time it is at this moment, please?
3: Okay, it's uh, 8.07pm on Wednesday the 15th of uh, (laughs) November. Uh Uh, We're sitting in my flat in South London and um, sitting on the sofa and preparing to talk to you.
1: Okay, good. Now, my listeners know who you are, James, but... I expect my audience don't really know Will. So, James, could you introduce Will to us, please?
3: I'll briefly introduce him, then he can introduce himself. Um, So, Will's a friend of mine I've known for about 12 years, would you say, roughly. We met uh, skateboarding at Kennington Bowl in Kennington, in London, uh, skateboarding. Mm -hmm. And we have quite a lot of stuff in common, including geeking out over, with Nail and I, and Will is 32 years old. He's very good at skateboarding.
1: Really? How good?
3: I'm now speaking
0: into the microphone. (laughs) So as an Englishman, I'm not allowed to say very good. Um, I'd have to say, oh, I just have a go. Um, (laughs) uh, Yes, Jim and I met skateboarding 12 years ago and we've been watching films together
1: and talking about skateboarding ever since. Fantastic. Will, could you... I mean, my listeners already know who he is, but could you introduce my brother to the audience as well, please?
0: Jim is a graphic designer, and he um, is a long, long-standing long supporter of of the rights of skateboarders in South London. He works towards campaigning for... Uh, the Stockwell Skate Park which is a um, very important skate park in South London and uh, he's a great um, film buff and has been teaching me uh, about the best films of the 20th century really (laughs) the last few years has he really
1: like he really has yeah I'm not I'm not making it up which films has he introduced you to
0: well perhaps I had a sheltered filmic upbringing but um, recently he showed me Jaws which I'd never seen really you'd never seen Jaws indeed I'd never seen it and um, we do tend to um, the, French, yeah, the French connection thank you the French it connection, was really yeah. good but we do tend to engage in um, a bit of alcohol at the same time so sometimes the learning doesn't go in
1: have you perhaps, quite
0: as well as it could
1: have you perhaps been engaging as you said with some alcohol this evening already Indeed,
0: yes. Just only, a
1: small amount. It's only 8pm. Just the right time <laughs> a, for some on a, ales. On a Wednesday. But so you've, you've just had a few ales, right? I've only <laughs> I've only had a few ales. Okay. All right, then. So I've asked you two... Well, in fact, you two are the ones who are so keen to talk to me about With Nail and I. That's part of the reason why this episode is happening. I've been meaning to talk about this film for ages, but um, James has pestered me a little bit to talk about it, and I'm actually very glad to do that. Um, So we're going to talk about this film with Nail and I. Now, um, I need to establish, first of all, that you two are sort of worth listening to on this subject. So what are your credentials when it comes to talking about this film? Why should we listen to you two in particular about this one?
3: Um, This is James here. I've watched it a lot of times. Um, I studied film at university, film critique, criticism. Not that that really makes a big difference, but it can help you... Decipher films, or want to decipher films, or watch them more than once. Um not I don't really have any credentials, man.
1: Okay, you just you just Will's seen the film.
3: Well, well, has got a BA and MA, and is a BMF besides. It is Will Kramer? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he's well I don't qualified.
0: Know yeah. what that stands for? But, oh,
1: um, B- B- anyway, BA Bachelor of Arts, MA Master of the Arts, and uh, and what is it? What's the other uh, one? B- BMF. Bad motherfucker. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's the um, BMF.
0: I also have a Master of Science, but none of those are in film. My credentials with regard to this film are that I've read every book about the film. There aren't that many, there's about four. Uh huh. But I've bought them all and read them all carefully. And um, I suppose another credential is that I correspond regularly with the biggest fan of this film on the planet, (laughs) whose name is Heidi, and she runs the Wall of Withnail website, um,
1: which you can easily find if you Google that. What is the Wall of Withnail website then?
0: She collects um, objects as close to resembling those that appear in the film in any scene, including if they appear for one second in the background. And um, her obsession with the film is, I think, unparalleled. Yeah, and to be celebrated. So, for example, she-
1: for example, if there's a if there's a clock on the wall in the pub where they're drinking, and it's sh- shown in the background for a second, she needs to get that clock or something that looks identical to that clock Th- for her collection. Uh, that's how obsessed she is about this film. That's exactly you it. To
0: this, right? I-, I believe she would listen to this as well. Really, because it's. Relates to the film, and if, nice if one, she Heidi. if she does, hello Heidi. Hello Heidi. Uh,
1: so I mean, that's just an example of. Um, well, I guess you're connected to her, so you're a big fan, and that just shows also how much people are sort of so enthusiastic about this film. Um, it's described as a cult film. I suppose that's fair because you know pe- the people who love it really, really love it, and it's not something that absolutely everybody knows about. Um, all right. So we need to get into the, the film. What What is this film all about? Could you just give us the basic details? Do you think? How would you summarize yes. it? And I I think we don't, I'm going to say spoiler alert. We might, we might mention some men, uh, parts of the plot, but I don't think it spoils the enjoyment of the film. In fact, the real enjoyment of watching this film is seeing it again and again and again over and over. And that it doesn't matter if you know what the plot is. It's more about other things. So, spoiler alert, but I don't think that's a big problem if you haven't seen the film. We shouldn't spoil it. In fact, we should help you appreciate it even more. So, what's it it all about?
0: Indeed. um, It doesn't have a plot that can be spoiled. I believe it's about um, two out-of-work actors in 1969 in London who are struggling with their dependence on alcohol and drugs and want to try and get away for a while to the countryside in the north of England, in Cumbria, and have a rest and feel better. And that all goes a bit wrong because the, the cottage that they stay in is owned by the uncle of the eponymous Withnall, who is one of those two out-of-work actors, and the uncle quite fancies the eponymous I, and uh, drives up in the night uh, to visit them, and it's a rather hilarious but difficult to summarise <laughs> trio of doom. <laughs> and then they come back to London, and the frayed edges of the plot happen there. But the but as you said, it's about watching again and again, and there's a lot to do with enjoying the characters and what they say rather than what happens exactly mm,
1: so it's not really about the plot it's more as you said the characters and what they say okay actually this question is this a comedy
3: okay um that's, it is a comedy definitely um it's just a very dry comedy of uh sort of pain really it's not like they're all having a good time and laughing all the time they're actually in misery and it's their predicament that's funny for some reason because what? you sort of empathize with them and um, it's just very funny the way they deal or don't deal with difficult situations.
1: What is it about the predicament of an out-of-work actor? Is there something inherently ridiculous
2: or well, funny about they, that? They all,
3: it's the kind of clash between an ego of an actor thinking you're the greatest person and you want to stand up and perform in front of the room, but also having a sort of, I'd imagine, a crushing sort of insecurity, which is also driving that. Mm-hmm. like actors talk about sometimes. And um, it's the struggle of the sort of when you're young of a certain age and you don't really know what you're doing. Right. And um, it's not funny in a sort of cheesy comedy kind of laugh every five seconds. Well, there is a laugh every five seconds, but not in an obvious way.
1: Okay. When was it made? 1986? Seven. 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 Okay. 1987. And when, when is it set? It's
3: set in 67, isn't
1: it? 69. 69. Okay and, uh, and, and what, so yeah sorry go on what was the title mean what does the title of the film mean the title
0: refers to the surname of one of the main characters Withnell is the surname of one of the main characters and i is the name of the other main character his his actual name is marwood that's his surname mm-hmm. but he's the guy that narrates so he gives a voiceover at times so he's the kind of i and that comes from the fact that it was adapted from a novel so the title is about the the two main characters the two out of work actors
1: all right and and uh, it was directed by Bruce Robinson who sort of went on to become a screenwriter and he did things like um the killing fields and and some other work like that. Uh, he made but, the
3: the Run Diary recently the, came out of retirement to make the Run Diary with uh, Johnny Depp and that Amber.
1: What's her name? Amber Heard. Yeah,
3: and it's, I quite like that film, although it's not considered to be that successful.
1: Mm-hmm. It's similar, um, isn't it, to to this one in a way. He also has
0: some experience as an actor. He was in Zeffirelli's nineteen sixties Romeo and Juliet. And so perhaps, no, not perhaps, I do know, he was indeed at times an out-of-work actor. So this is an autobiographical film to some
1: extent. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just wondering at this point, right, I'm, I feel like the attention of my listeners is, I'm always aware of this, right? And so Yeah, we're being really boring, aren't we? We've explained the, the film,
3: right? We've explained Let's what it is. Let's talk about a bit about the background of how it got made. So it got part funded by uh, George Harrison of The Beatles through handmade films. Mm-hmm. Um, he pulled a lot of strings to allow this film to happen. It was made on a very low budget. And there's also quite a lot of good music in the film, which apparently he managed to get hold of, which a normal film wouldn't have been able to get, like The Beatles and Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. are both in this film, both of which are very hard to get, apparently, for a movie, especially a low-budget movie. So he, George Harrison made this film happen in lots of different ways. So that's quite an interesting backstory. And you've got some...
1: But I mean, before we get into that, though, we we need to actually know why this is any good. Like, why should anyone actually care about what you're saying? I mean, we get it. Like, you you love a film. I do too. But why is this of any interest to my audience? You know? What's the appeal?
0: I think um, the appeal is proven by the fact that it's so quotable, as you've already mentioned earlier. But why it's quotable is, I think, rather subtle and... um, Possibly difficult to account for, but it must be well written and uh, certain things really uh, key into deep experiences that we've all had. We've all been in our 20s. We may not have, well, not everyone has, but everyone gets to be young and possibly unsure about their futures. And it keys into a lot of these things. Another big theme in it that's dealt with really interestingly is social class. There are lots of quotes about that. It's, it's, it's difficult to account for how good it is. It's very yeah. subtle.
1: Well, can I ask um, us to think about this? Like, How does the film actually open? What, what's the opening scene of the film? And how does that kind of set the scene for the rest of the, the, the movie?
3: You meet someone in a very bad state of mind and they're um, they're extremely anxious, extremely stressed, and they're trying to sort of somehow hold it together and you realise they're living in complete squalor, complete... Mess. This, and is the, this, this, this is the disgusting filth.
1: This is the eye character. With the we this start the film with I him, character. him smoking a cigarette and sitting there looking very anxious. And you don't know what time of day it is. You don't know what's
3: going on. It
1: seems like dawn. It, um, it's it's like first thing in the morning, and you realise that he's been up all night, and he's in in a real state of mind. And he puts the kettle on, and he kind of he's very confused. And then he decides to go outside, and he has a sort of a panic attack stressing out about his predicament and uh, the fact that they haven't got any work. And then he comes back and that's when we realise that he's living with this other guy called Withnell and he seems to be a bit of a handful and then we get our first introduction to, to Withnell and immediately he starts quoting, well he's not quoting lines, he's just saying you know, the, the lines in the script but they're all incredibly memorable, quotable lines. Um, what, what are some of the lines he says at the beginning there? i think
3: it opens with uh, i think the opening line is do you want a cup of tea right classic Uh, (laughs) and then he starts i don't know i'm gonna hand over to will for a bit of uh... okay
0: well i says my thumbs have gone weird um as you said he's having a panic attack and he explains to his flatmate Withnell um that his thumbs have gone weird
1: it's a nightmare i tell you it's a nightmare we've just run out of wine
2: what are we going to do about it I don't know. I don't know. Oh, God. I don't feel good. My thumbs have gone weird. Oh, God. My heart's beating like a fuck clock. I feel dreadful. I feel really dreadful. So do I. So does everybody.
3: It's kind of relevant. It's the end of the 60s. It's like the party has just finished. The whole 60s party has just come to an end in that moment and he's left shivering cold and freaked out in a broken flat and it's it's quite scary it's not particularly funny because the
1: 60s was very idealistic and also hedonistic as well so it was like this big sort of party this uh, thinking that they were going to change the world and drugs were a part of that and then they just emerged at the end of that decade rather than uh, liberated they were just um all messed up and paranoid and so it's kind of about the end of an era isn't it and the it is, the end of innocence both for the context of the time and for the character in the in the film who realizes he has to kind of move on and grow up and sort of leave certain things behind and, and his- they're,
3: they're li- yeah they're living in Camden which is a pretty nice place now but in those days probably pretty rough and everywhere is just threatening and nasty and you know, old school, you it, it, know, it feels that- like a big age divide, big age gap between every time they go to the pub, there's all these old geezers in there who hate them because they dress like sweaty actors. And it's just like the whole world's against them, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, in the area where they live, it's, it's all these working class, class Irish, uh, immigrants who are all really rough guys. And, um, you know, would always sort of try threaten to fight them and things like that. And there's a scene in the film where they go to the pub and there's a rough uh, Irish guy who threatens them, and Withnail is hilarious in in the way that he responds like a total coward. So that that kind of brings us to the characters, really. So they're these two actors out of work, they're sort of um, mentally on uh, in a weird state and they're a bit desperate and paranoid. But there's a difference in the characters, right? And this is really where the interest in the film is, the way that the characters um, react and interact with each other. So uh, how would you describe Withnail, the character of Withnail then? Because he's a fascinating character, played brilliantly by Richard E. Grant, the actor. But tell us about Withnail.
0: Withnail is of a um, middle or upper or upper middle social class and um ha-
1: he's he's upper yeah. class really upper, Def- class. upper class okay
0: yeah and he has um a posh accent therefore and he's very convinced of his talent and uh, his good looks as well but he's um he's quite ruthless he's willing to lie even if it harms his best friend he's also willing to lie for alcohol or drugs he's very interested in alcohol and drinks as much as he can of it
1: in fact this is what motivates him it seems really it's that and just the blind sort of um, assumption that he's going to become a huge star even though the whole time he's treating everyone like shit and just drinking all the time and in this constant party uh but there is something hilarious and ridiculous about withnell i mean he's an awful person uh, absolutely awful but I mean why would anyone spend time with him
0: well he has a certain charisma and he's sort of compelling in that way and he isn't always being awful he's often making pronouncements about things in a very witty way and I believe he was based on a on on a, on a man called Vivian McCarroll an alcoholic out-of-work actor who was equally compelling dishonest and charismatic
1: all bundled in together. And and so what about the other character, I? But he's really based on Bruce Robinson the the writer.
3: Yeah, I's like Bruce's character. Um he's sort of more middle class. So he kind of looks up to Withnell and his sort of arrogance. Mhm. And Withnell's also very funny and dry and, you know, kind of dominates the room. But I's a bit more shy, a bit more unself assured doesn't really know how to deal in sort of upper-class circles mm-hmm. he's um he's a bit more in touch with reality though somehow um he can relate to normal people <laughs> a bit better than with no can and uh he's just very shy very paranoid quite earnest you know he's he's kind of like the guy you empathize with i suppose yeah he's and of- he's the narrator although the nar- the narration kind of fades out halfway through the film and it just sort of stops. It does, doesn't it? And the narration is very, very patchy because to start with, it's like, oh, this is weird. This guy's like talking over it. It's like his thoughts mm-hmm. when he's in the cafe and stuff. And then yeah. it kind of goes away a bit. It does. I think it comes back at the end a little bit.
1: Yeah, it does. Or does it? So you've got See, so you, I don't th- I don't think it does. I don't think it does. No, I think it just goes away, which it is kind away. of weird. So the, like voiceover narration in the first sort of half an hour of the film and then it goes away. But so so we've got these two characters, one who's kind of a bit sort of um, shy, a bit unsure of himself, but he's got potential. And then you've got uh, Withnell, who's absolutely convinced in, in of how brilliant he is. And he's this sort of um, charismatic figure, who, but he's utterly self-interested. And he just cares about pleasing himself all the time. And as you said, he's prepared to lie if it means kind of getting what he wants, which is basically comfort and booze. Um, and and so how does this play out then over the course of the film? How does this kind of get them into certain scrapes then?
3: Well, they go on holiday. Why, why do they no... go on
1: holiday? Because that's the first thing. They wanna...
3: it's, um, it's I's idea. And he says, well, why don't we get out of it for a while <laughs> You know, and there's a few jokes about that and why don't we get into the countryside and um <laughs> he says, What about your thingy with the cottage? And he's like, Why don't you give him a ring? He's like, Who the fuck are you talking about? What
2: about what's his name? What about him? I'm gonna give him a call. What for? Ask him about his house. You want me to call what's his name and ask him about his house? Why not? All right, what's his number? I have no idea, I've never met him. Well, neither have I. What the fuck are you talking about? Your relative with the house in the country. Monty. Oh, come on to? Tim, the one? Get the jack fixed up, spend a week in the country. Alright. Give us a tenner and I'll give him a bell. Here, get a couple more in. we go for a slash.
3: He says, what about your thingy with the cottage? And he's like, why don't you give him a ring? He's like, who the fuck are you talking about? They're just having nonsensical conversations. Anyway, they, you know,
1: what am I talking about? You're talking about why it is that they first go away on holiday. And I think it's because uh, I says, your uncle's got a house in the countryside and Withnell's like, all right. And, they, and he calls him. But we don't realise until later how Withnell has managed to persuade Uncle Monty to let them have the cottage we don't know it's just a secret they 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 go round to his house and uncle monty is this incredibly posh person he's also really camp basically like sort of obviously gay and this huge physical presence as well he's a big sort of fat guy and played by what's the name of the actor richard griffiths richard, richard griffiths a fantastic british actor who's in who's been in a, a number of other things he was in harry potter famously Anyway, he's he this big, indeed. this big guy, this incredibly camp um, uncle of, of Withnell's, and he obviously takes a, a fancy to I, and um, I is completely freaked out by him.
2: Oh, hello, come in, sit down, do. Would you like a drink? Sherry, 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 sherry. Do you like vegetables? I've always been fond of root crops, but I only started to grow last summer. I happen to think the cauliflower more beautiful than the rose. Chin-chin. Do you grow geraniums? Oh, you little traitors. I think the carrot infinitely more fascinating than the geranium. Mm. The carrot has mystery. Flowers are essentially tarts prostitutes for the bees mm. there is you will agree certain je ne a very special about a firm young carrot mm. excuse me do help yourself another drink that's all this the man's mad eccentric eccentric is insane not only that he's a raving homosexual
1: but with goes away into a room with uncle monty and does this deal Uh, where they get the cottage, he comes downstairs with the key and he says to um, Marwood... uh,
0: Free to those who can afford
1: it,
3: very expensive to those who can't.
0: Yeah,
1: free to those who can afford it, very expensive to those who can't. What does that tell you?
3: A very, very true statement.
1: What does that tell you about class? Anything?
0: Well, absolutely. Um, uh, People of a very upper-class persuasion or uh, birth we'll often get things that are expensive to anyone else for free in the manner that celebrities sometimes do at pubs or clubs. <laughs> they, get, they get free drinks just to be in there. That's right. Um, but I wonder if we can spoil the plot a little bit and explain what it turns out, That's not... Withnail has told.
1: I don't know. I think, no? Maybe we could spoil the plot there. Or should we wait until later anyway? Maybe we'll wait.
3: I think we need to come up with some
1: quotes. Well, okay. co- look, we need to start. No, not yet. We need to make this funny because not, not quotes, I'm, I don't
3: feel we're winning anyone over. Yeah, we're
1: not at all. But no quotes <laughs> yet. We need. <laughs> is to- anyone
3: still listening? I'm no, sorry.
1: That we need to uh, establish what the drama is in the story because otherwise, there's no point to this at all. Well, it's so, really ref- funny. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I
3: but mean, they go could- away They go away to this cottage. The cottage is an absolute shit hole. They can't even get there because they're in a one, one eyed jag. What's that? It's a Jaguar car, British old British car, completely battered, with only one headlight working, and it's pissing it down with rain. And Withnall's absolutely pissed out of his head, drunk uh, on um, port that he snicked from Monty's house. And uh, they have a complete nightmare getting there. They they finally get there in the middle of the night in the pouring rain. Withnall's half dead. They manage to get in the cottage. They've got nothing to eat. They've got nothing to light a fire with they're just fucked and Withnell sits down and uh, marwood says what are you doing and withnell says i'm sitting down to enjoy my holiday
1: right <laughs> and in the end they they work it out but it's like these two guys who've gone on holiday by mistake that's the kind of funny line in it isn't it that they they end up trying to get the attention of one of the farmers from a local farm and they're, like, shouting at him, you know, oh, we've come on holiday by mistake. Are you the farmer? And having a big argument.
2: Stop, please! Please, stop! Please, stop! Are you the farmer? Shut up! I'll deal with this. We've gone on holiday by mistake. We're in this cottage here. Are you the farmer? Stop saying that, Whitnell. Of course it's a fucking farmer. We're friends of Montague Withnull. We desperately need fuel and wood. Montague Whitmore, you must know him. Fat man owns the cottage. I ah, say the fat man, London type, queer sort. Think his name's uh French or something. French. Aye, Adrian delatoche he ain't been here for a couple of years. Last time I saw him, he was he with his son.
0: Yeah, that's him.
2: Listen, we're going to find him. We're not from London. Could we have some fuel and wood? Ah, I could bring you some logs of later, but I've got the cows and that to feed
3: first. When? Shut up! That would be very kind. I feel like this should be just a brief intro and then you just play the film. The whole thing should just but be... But how do we make this funny? I mean, it's, we're not getting it across. Well, what do they do in the documentaries? They quote all the lines. The thing so. is,
1: the documentaries, is that it's for the people who've already seen the film. And it's what every...
3: fucker it's... said that?
1: You can't just, you can't just uh, repeat all the quotes because no one's going to know what any of them mean... All we have to say is that you should watch this film because it's good. And that's it, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of a quote that that works on its own. Um, We want the finest
1: wines available to humanity. We want them here and we want them now. That's probably the most Can I ask you actually first, before we go into all that stuff. um, Right. So talking about the appeal of the film, now this film might, the appeal of this might not be obvious to the people who haven't seen it, which is the problem we're having. Here's what my wife thought when I showed her this film. So she thinks she thought it was boring, and depressing. She said the characters are miserable, the colours are all washed out, nothing happens, everything's grey. Okay, which is not a, an uncommon reaction because I've shown the films to several groups of learners of English, you know, advanced ones, and the response was often muted. I don't think they really got it. The language is very hard. It's very sort of wordy, very reliant on the script. And also, there are certain other things that don't help it to satisfy a broad audience. Like, it doesn't actually have any romance in it. There's no love interest. It doesn't contain any obvious jokes. They're not obvious ones. It's not very brightly lit or colourful. It's like like you would find in a rom-com. There's not really any action, maybe a little bit. The characters are often quite hysterical. Uh, and over the top, there's a lot of very colourful language and swearing. It's set in the past, nothing really seems to happen, and there are no female characters in it. So um, that's what people often uh, seem to think uh, when they come to it cold. How did you first discover the film? And when you first watched it, did it immediately strike you as being a classic?
0: No. And I think that's um, a rite of passage for everyone that sees this film. Perhaps the problem is um there's a tradition in England of watching this film at university or when you're young and someone possibly a bit older than you maybe just a year or two who's seen it a couple more times persuades you that there is something good in there. I think it's a bit like drinking whiskey. At the first taste it often just seems like it tastes like smoke and you think well why do, why is there such a cult following of this drink who who would care about this and then you drink it and somebody starts telling you look at the subtlety of of the on the edge of that flavour of smoke there's vanilla there's this there's that there's the other there's a there's a hint of all that and I think it's similar um, I remember watching it and not quite getting what all the fuss was about Yeah. but by the time I watched it the third time <laughs> um my flatmate had 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 convinced me that that there was stuff to look out for and that it was it was the subtle depth of the of the lines and the and the penetrating sagacity of <laughs> sagacity of, i don't even know what that means <laughs> um it means uh um f- uh depth of understanding perspicacity
2: I'm hand
1: them but it's interesting wow. to, It's interesting to hear about how you first came across the film. What about you, James? How did you first discover it? Luke, did we watch it in Chadwick End? Um, let's see. So how I we remember. Did. I think I
3: had seen it when I went to university once.
1: Yeah, I think you had, because this is what happened. Or as, maybe twice. Even. As with most things in your life, I remember them better than you do. Yeah, that's why I'm asking are, you. These are events in you. Like when you can't remember something in your life, you ask me. Like, Luke, where was I living in 1999? <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, yeah, you were in uh, Sheffield. Oh, yeah, that's it. I bet you couldn't even remember where you were living in 1999. Anyway, Sorry, mate. Anyway, um, so here's what happened. Here's how I discovered it. And I think it may be the same Hang time. On, I was, well, yeah, I know no, it's no, the no, same no. time. So, that it's the same time you discovered it.
3: So. But basically, I was going to say, I'd seen it once. Oh, go on then. Go on, do your bit. Because it's the same. So we think, watched it together. Yeah, I think I remember saying.
1: the same time we watched it maybe together. But I was in um, a band at Sixth Form College when I was about 17. And uh, the bass player in the band was, was quoting all of Danny's lines from the film. So that's There's a, there's the fourth character we haven't mentioned. Yeah, Danny, Danny's a
3: fucking gem.
1: Danny is the drug dealer who sells drugs to them, even though he's run out during the film until the end. Uh, but Danny's this sort of uh, very shady character who sort of speaks like this, Danny. He's got this it's sort like, of... He's
3: got a slight... It's, I think it's called a, 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 a eroticism. He's got like, eroticism, a, he eroticism. like a...
1: He does like a sort of erotic it's R's. has like got
3: slightly soft R's when he he's, speaks. His R's are quite soft and he speaks... In a slightly patronising way. He
1: speaks in a very sort of, matter of fact, very slightly patronising way with these slightly erotic R's. So Luke,
3: the thing you have to remember when you're recording these podcasts is you have to make them interesting. Yeah, okay. You know, that kind of thing.
1: So the bass player in this band kept quoting Danny's lines from the film and uh, the guys in the band were all laughing and I was like, what's that? And they, they explained it was with Nan and I. And then if, I think I mentioned it to my mum... And she went out and bought with Nell and I on DVD. She's the one no, who, on video, VHS on video. Yeah, video. She's the one who actually bought it. And then, then I understand. I think that we watched it together, the three of us: mum, I think you're right, mum, you and me uh, watched that together. And I was expecting because I'd heard all this stuff about the Camberwell carrot, you know. Uh, I invented it in Camberwell and it looks like a carrot. It and the, resembles a carrot. A, cam, uh, a Camberwell carrot is a really big joint, like this big spliff that Danny rolls and it's huge like a carrot. And, uh, you know, this joint requires up to 15 skins, um, right?
2: Chalk like of smoke? Yes. No thanks, I've got a call to make. What are you going to do with those? The joint I'm about to roll requires a craftsman. It can utilise up to
3: 12 skins. It is called a Camberwell carrot. It's impossible to
2: use 12 papers on one joint. It's impossible to make a Camberwell carrot with anything less. Who says it's a Camberwell carrot? I do. I invented it in Camberwell and it looks like a carrot.
1: Anyway, he sort of uh, rolls this huge joint called the Camberwell Carrot. So I'd heard about this and I was expecting basically like a British version of Cheech and Chong, like a stoner comedy where they're constantly smoking massive spliffs and it's all hilarious. And uh, so that was what I was expecting. And sort of instead, it's like this kind of slightly uh, grim drama at some in some moments. And it's this quirky kind of buddy movie with these two actors who go on holiday by mistake. And there's not really a lot of drug uh, stuff going on in most of the film until the end where the Camberwell carrot comes out. And there's a very funny scene where they smoke it and Marwood's character goes all paranoid. And then Danny starts kind of ranting about politics and it's it's all very sort of evocative of those days at university where you may have uh smoked a camberwell carrot and uh you know sort of started to get anxious or something and i think it's one of those films that um shows shows up the sort of
3: bullshit around drugs being great wonderful brightly colored you know, in films when I talk about LSD, it's always this amazing, like, oh, wow, flowers and, you know, peace and love and everything. Yeah, and, and I when think s- the reality for a lot of people is it's pretty grim.
1: Yeah, it really, it does show the sort of, the, the really bad side of, of, of drugs, because often in films... Um, when they have pots, you know, when there's weed, it's usually someone who kind of gets all forgetful and they get hungry and they get the munchies and it's all very ridiculous. But in this film, uh, they smoke weed and it's like awful. Like really, you know, one of them has a really bad time and he finds it really hard to kind of, to deal with the intensity of it. And it's sort of like this realistic version of of drugs and it's grim and, and sort of hilarious, but horrible at the same time, which is probably a much more realistic depiction of what it's really like. So I was expecting this stoner comedy and instead I got this whole other thing and I had to watch it a few times. I don't quite know how I ended up watching it more. I think it was at university. Like you said, Will, there is a tradition in the UK. There's a whole culture of university really, which they might not get in other countries. And that the thing is that in the UK when when teenagers go away to university at eighteen years old, they typically leave home and go and move to a, a completely different part of the country where they live in these houses with other students. So you end up with these student houses, which really resemble life in the house in Withnal and I. Which is this kind of place where no one ever does the washing up, and so there might be things growing in the in the in the kitchen <coughs> sink, and there might even be rats in the in the house somewhere, but no one's noticed and nothing no, <laughs> no one cleans anything up there's crap everywhere, and they constantly stay up all night doing things they shouldn't be doing and typically people probably end up in the kind of condition that Marwood is in at the beginning of the film, all paranoid and washed up and and without sleep. And so I think I wouldn't be surprised if there are many, many people who've lived that kind of life, that debauched life at university, away from home, um, you know, doing all these sordid things and feeling bad about it, scraping through university, getting your degree and then growing up and still loving this film because it seems to capture this weird emotional moment in in our lives which is it's a sort of romantic um, thing as well. There's a lot of sort of tragedy in 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 the film in, in many ways. The tragedy um, in the, of this character Withnell, who who's never going to amount to anything. He's just a drunk,
0: and that's part of the um, part of the brilliant, compelling nature of the film that it that it taps into this reality. You mentioned it earlier um, that it that it's it it, it has a, a real um appraisal of what dr- the drugs experience is like but i think it also in a very real way at uh being young at being an actor at being at, at alcohol but al- also at friendship at lying all these things and and that's and the fact that it's um realistic rather than filmic is is possibly the reason why you need to watch it more than more than a few times um, in the end, to really start to grasp it in the same way that reality is quite confusing when you meet someone in reality mm. you don 't come away thinking, "Yeah, they are," and then three adjectives about them you You have a very complex sense of them and and these characters are polyphonic in the same way they're they're three d characters that that last through 50 or 100 or 300 viewings as indeed Heidi has uh
3: reached I think really that's incredible yeah we've we've seen it a few times in the cinema and we went to an outdoor screening of it as well they did in the park yeah I mean it is a cult film it does pop up on the sort of indie circuit or whatever you want to call it of like smaller cinemas and outdoor events and, and then it'll set out and it will sell out usually
1: yeah, I saw it outdoors as well. It was it was amazing. Everyone was uh, repeating lines of the script while watching. It was like a big party in front of the screen. It was amazing. The first time I saw it, I liked it.
3: I thought it was more of felt more of a sort of grim, gritty drama than a comedy. Yes, that's how I felt. And uh, the second time I saw it was sort of student friends and it seemed a bit more laughable. like and you kind of knew what was coming and then I kind of went off it for a while and then got it on DVD and then kind of rediscovered it mm and it doesn't get old, I mean, I watch a lot of comedy films. Someone said I think it was Adam and Joe they were saying, even spinal tap, there's only so many times you can watch that before it kind of gets a bit too much that's another film with with nell and i you you can really watch it a lot and still get stuff out of it
1: mm. okay,
0: I'd agree with that and i i I would like to um make a case in point about that because. At uh, a certain point fairly recently, maybe a couple of months ago, Jim and I um, had watched the film, we thought, too many times, mm-hmm. and um, we'd been to see it in, in in the cinema for its 30th anniversary showing, and then we saw it for another 30th anniversary showing outdoors in, in a park somewhere, and then I was requesting that we watch it again at home at Jim's house. And he said, we've, we've overdone it, we've overdone it. And I don't think it was more than a, a fortnight later, two weeks later, before we, um, we watched it again. And he, and he shook his head solemnly and said, it, it just is that good, it keeps going.
1: So what are, your, what are some of your favourite moments from the film?
0: Well, for me, I think the, the finest moment and possibly one of the only moments that might work without knowing the film um, at all... Is when Monty says, I can't touch meat
1: until it's cooked. As a youth, I used to weep in butcher shops. Yeah, it's a moment in the kitchen when it, he's asking Marwood to, to prepare the meat. He's is like, I can't touch meat, right? As a yeah. youth, I used to weep in butcher shops.
2: There, now, garlic, rosemary, and salt. I can never touch meat until it's cooked. As a youth, I used to weep in butcher shops.
0: It's almost a joke in itself, but this is the, the this is the thing about this film. It resists having any one-liners that really are jokes in their own right. It's, I, it's very character-based.
1: I think the one scene that stood out for me at the beginning, and I think this is probably the most famous scene in the film, is when they're drunk in a in a very posh little town in Penrith, and the both of them are completely pissed. And uh, they've been sent into town on an errand by Uncle Monty, and they they like balls to the errand, and they go and what get pissed instead. And um, and they go in as they emerge from the pub, they see a, a little shop that sells cake and tea, and one of them's like, "We need to go in there, don't we, and get some cake, soak up the booze." And so they turn up in this very posh little a cake shop where there are you know very nicely dressed people sitting down it's all sort of old retired posh people and they turn up all drunk and looking like a couple of sort of uh, i don't know what they look like just a, they look a, a real mess and they immediately de- farm hands yeah they they demand immediately to have uh, f- cake and wine we want the finest wines available to humanity we want them here and we want them now that's probably the most famous line from the film, isn't it? They Agreed. demand it is yes. They demand cake and wine from the old couple who who are selling tea and cake.
2: We're early. We want to get in there, don't we? Eat some cake, soak like up the booze. all right here yeah? what do you want cake all right here yeah? no we're closing mm-hmm. we're leaving in this one cake and tea didn't you hear she said she'd closed what do you want in here cake what's it got to do with you i happen to be the proprietor now would you leave Ah, I'm glad you're the proprietor. I was going to have to have a word with you anyway. We're working on a film up here. Location, see. We might want to do a film in here. You're drunk. Just bring out the pipe. cake and fine wine. If you don't leave, we'll call the police. Balls. We want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here, and we want them now. Miss Blenner has it. Telephone the police. It's all right. Miss Brenner has it. I'm warning you. If you do, you're fired. <laughs> we are multimillionaires. We shall buy this place and fire you immediately. Yes, we'll buy this place. And we'll install a fucking jukebox in here. <laughs> I you stiffed up a bit. The police, Miss Brenner has it. Just say there are a couple of drunks in the Penrith tea rooms and we want them removed. We are not drunks. We are multi-millionaires. Hurry up, Mabs. We'll keep them here till they arrive. They won't keep us anywhere. We'll buy this place and have it knocked down. Right, right, right. Please, please. Right. We're going. Our cars arrived. We'll be back. We're coming back in here.
1: <laughs> and the old couple are like we don't have anyone look just don't know now get out we're closing we're leaving in a minute you know all that stuff and they
0: threaten to call the police and 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 with nil and no i claims that they're millionaires and in fact that you know there's no need to
3: call the police they're, they're leaving in a minute
1: and then the the rolls-royce turns up and they actually do leave And then
3: after all this palaver where they're claiming to be multimillionaires, a rolls-royce silver ghost i think Heidi, you'll know, um, rolls up and they go, it's all right, our ride is here. And they leave. In We're a coming back.
1: Rolls. We're coming back in here.
3: We're coming back in here.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, also, it's the performance of Richard E. Grant as this drunk, uh, posh, drunk sort of buffoon um, prancing like a tit. And, and th- <laughs> Well, there's an there's yeah.
0: an interesting thing. Um, that that point, I think, that that point in the film is particularly celebrated. Uh, because it's very odd. He seems to be laughing uncontrollably, but in a very unusual way. And um, I think most people find that very compelling. I do too, but the, uh, the the real reason behind it, apparently, was that there were some very small dogs in the laps of um, old women who were sitting in the cafe yeah. that were sniffing uh like this <laughs> and um he thought and richard e grant the actor thought that those women were laughing um at the uh at the acting he was doing and it was setting him off to laugh and so he couldn't stop laughing and they did the take many many times and in the end they went with the one that you see in the film oh, i see where he's laughing through the lines um <laughs> yeah. and um, and that's and that's added uh, a special je ne sais quoi oh so very special <laughs> to the film
1: <laughs> okay will is quoting a few lines from the film as we go on that that's the that's the thing isn't it it's uh incredibly quotable like all the lines from the film uh you can sort of repeat them with your friends and it kind of immediately raises a laugh because it sort of just brings to mind the scenes and the characters in the film. And the lines ref, you know, refer to many different things. I mean, there's there's a Facebook group uh, called the Withnail and I Appreciation Society. And basically what people do on that Facebook group is they post things and then everyone just writes in the comments section, they just write quotes from the film. Yeah. And it's surprising. We,
3: we, we will sometimes try and communicate entirely in Withnail and I quotes. Yeah. we've we've Sometimes someone will send the other one a text. And they can't, personally, I see it as a challenge to try and come up with a quote However obscure from the film that fits yeah. that situation. What's so fav- every basically
1: every single line is quotable. What's your favourite line? Ah! Uh, can you explain the context in which it occurs?
3: That's tough. That's tough because whatever comes into your mind is just an obvious one. But there's 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 I'm, lots. I'm fond know. of a lot of the things. I think the, the confrontations are quite good between, like
1: what fucker said that so that's where they go into the pub because
3: it's just preceding a big fall you know it's like the pride before a fall
1: yeah well so what happens is that at one point Withnell vomits all over marwood's shoes and marwood in order to cover up the smell of the vomit is forced to use essence of petunia which is kind of a sweet smelling sort of stuff it smells a bit like perfume and then they go to one of these rough pubs with all these rough guys in it and at one point as Marwood is walking back from the from the loo, one of these guys shouts at him and calls him a perfume ponce. A ponce is like a sort of a it's a word for a gay, right? It's sort a of, sort of abusive word to, uh, meaning gay, and uh, perfume ponce. And it, Marwood gets all freaked out and scared, and he goes back to Withnell at the bar, and he goes up to him. And he goes, "I've been called a ponce." Uh, and he's, he's sort of all paranoid and with Nell immediately goes, what fucker said that?
2: Perfume, ponce, You'll be pleased to hear Monty's invited us for drinks. Balls to Monty, we're getting out. Balls to Monty? I spent an hour flattering the bugger. There's one over there that doesn't like the perfume, a big one. Don't, don't, do We're in danger, we've got to get out. What are you talking about? I've been called a ponce. What fucker said that? I called him a ponce. And now I'm calling you one. Ponce! Would you like a drink? What's your name, Mac? Fuck! I have a heart condition. I have a heart condition. If you hit me, it's murder. I'll murder the periodist! My wife is having a baby. Listen, I don't know what my f- acquaintance did to upset you, but it's nothing to do with me. I suggest you both go outside and discuss it sensibly in the street. Ah!
1: And, uh, and then immediately this huge guy comes up and goes, I called him a ponce, and now I'm calling you one. Ponce. And now crumples like a coward. And he's immediately like, my wife is having a baby. If you hit me, it's, you know, and he's like, uh, well, I'm, 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 I have a heart condition. I have a heart condition. If you hit me, it's murder. And immediately comes out with all these ridiculous excuses and things. And it just shows how pathetic Withnal is. You know, on one hand all this bravado of like, what fucker said that? And then immediately, as soon as he's challenged by this guy, he's like, I have a, I have a heart condition. Um, if you hit me, it's well, murder.
0: My favourite line might be um, tactical necessity. <laughs> Calculated risk. <laughs> Calculated risk,
1: tactical necessity. You're going to have to explain that, though. He
3: it says it so offhand.
0: Well, um... Now that I can explain that, it's going to be a pl- a plot ployler. Spoiler alert. A, pl- a, a plot spoiler. Yeah. Um, uh, Go on. It, it turns out that Monty has come, has driven all the way up to the cottage that he owns where the two main characters are staying, with Noah and I, because he's interested in sleeping with I. And, um this becomes clear to I when he finds himself a man naked in a corner. Um, and there's, there's a fairly predatory scene, but it's, it's dissolved eventually.
1: Well, he, he thinks he, he, get, he's so freaked out by the fact that Monty's coming onto him that he promises, you know, with, he makes with promise that he can sleep in the room with the lock on the door. And that night with no gets really drunk. And, and Monty's like, I think he should, you know, sleep in the room with the with the well, for some reason, he puts him in the room with the lock. And then Marwood is cornered by Monty, who's like trying to seduce him, saying things like, are you a sponge? That's his. his chat are, you sponge <laughs> are you a
0: sponge or a stone? Are you a sponge or a
1: stone? Then Marwood's response. That's is, an
0: actual quote from something Franco Zeffirelli said to Bruce Robinson
1: when he was trying to seduce him.
0: When he did seduce him.
1: Oh, really?
2: <laughs> he was such a bastard, Zeffirelli. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was at... I'll do this very quickly, but this is the truth. I was at drama school, came out of drama school. Next thing, I'm on a plane out to Rome. I'd never been on a, plane, a jet plane before in my life. And I'm in this amazing apartment in Via Due Micelli, in the middle of Rome. And I walk in there, and there are about a dozen very, very cutely dressed men with little Gucci handbags. And uh, Franco sort of brings me in to introduce me. I do, but I'm really not homophobic. But this was what happened to me that night. And as I walk in there, these guys with the handbags all say, Ma Franco, guarda qui, allora, incredibile!" <laughs> says to me oh you must be very tired you must be very tired you have a shower and the next thing I'm in the bathroom having a shower and the fucking door opens <laughs> and there he is standing there um, I'm going to give you a kaftan he just come back from Cairo I'm going to give you a kaftan it would be beautiful blue silk kaftan then he dries my I put on the kaftan now he dries my hair now we go back into the room with the dozen Gucci boys Except they've all gone. (laughs) And there's just me and him, and I'm on the sofa. What do you want to drink? You like something to drink? A bit of whiskey. And he leans over to me and says, Are you a sponge or a stone?
1: Are you a sponge? That's his his chat Are you a sponge or a stone? Are you a sponge or a stone? then Marwood's response is... That's an actual
0: quote from something... Franco Zeffirelli said to Bruce Robinson...
1: When he was trying to seduce him.
0: When he did seduce him.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> um, anyway, so Monty's turned up in order to... Because he, he's interested in Marwood. Uh, and it turns out that Withnell, when he went off into that room in order to make a deal about the cottage, apparently he promised Uncle Monty that he would be able to have his wicked way with Marwood and that Marwood was a toilet trader...
0: Um, and he'd been arrested on the Tottenham Court Road <laughs> um and monty monty mentions all this and explains why he's come to um have his wicked way with i and i is shocked and appalled and says he told you that he he said i was a toilet trader and um explains that in fact with nail and i are a couple which is, in fact, not true. But they're just very good friends.
1: He says but, that he says that in order to get away, to get out of this potential uh, buggery in the uh, bedroom <laughs> from Uncle Monty. <laughs> yes. he, he spins this story out of desperation that him and Withnail are actually a couple, and
0: and it works. And when he returns to Withnail, Withnail is very drunk and asleep, but he wakes him up, and Withnail explains that the reason. He um, he told these he made these fabrications and told these lies about I was for tactical necessity, um, calculated risk. He didn't think Monty would come all this way out there, and um, and I points out that indeed Monty he'd go to New York <laughs> he would
2: I'll slow you wake wake up. Wake up or I'll burn this bastard bed down. I deny all accusations. What do you want? I have just narrowly avoided having a buggering and I've come in here with the express intention of wishing one on you. Having said that, I now intend to leave for London. Hold on. Don't let your imagination run away with you. Imagination? I just finished fighting a naked man. How dare you tell him I'm a toilet trader? It was a tactical necessity. If I hadn't told him you were active, we'd never have got the cottage. I'd never have wanted it, not with him in it. (coughs) i never thought he'd come all this way monty he'd go to new york calculated risk what is all this tactical necessity and calculated risk this is me naked in a corner and how dare you tell him i love you and how dare you tell him you rejected me how dare you tell him that sorry about that got a bit carried away sort of said it without thinking well let me tell you something if he comes into my room again it's murder and you will be held responsible in law but
1: i like the the the, the fact that tactical necessity and calculated risk is so funny because they're sort of like military terms you know yeah. strategic military terms for something you know, cal- in a
3: betrayal. tactical betrayal a horrible tactical, betrayal
1: tactical necessity and calculated risk yeah um this is me naked in a corner right uh I think for me also anything yeah.
3: anything Danny says is yes. basically the best line in the film. My
1: my favorite maybe my favorite lines of the film are when uh, the two of them are p- getting dressed to go and see Monty to try and try and get <laughs> yeah. the uh, the the cottage and uh Danny turns up with Nels talking about getting his hair cut and Danny starts pontificating about haircuts he goes i, I don't do,
0: advise a haircut i do
1: not recommend a haircut man all hairdressers are under employment of the government this is his conspiracy theory hair about, <laughs>
3: your aerials. Hairy or they aerials transmit
1: they transmit signals from the cosmos and send them directly to the brain this is why bald men are uptight and with oh, nails no i can confirm that
2: i don't advise a haircut man All hairdressers are in the employment of the government. Hair are your aerials. They pick up signals from the cosmos and transmit them directly into the brain. This is the reason bald-headed men are uptight. What absolute twaddle
1: yeah so everything that danny says is is hilarious his conspiracy theories and his sort of political ramblings and and stuff and it's just his voice is just so amazing this
3: sort if of I've, if voice. i medicined you you'd think a brain tumor was a birthday present
1: <laughs> so um <laughs> i think maybe we can just wrap this up by saying uh we uh, haven't convinced anyone no, have we? no no not at all um
3: I if would quite I'd, difficult language as well, I'd imagine. Absolutely. Especially but, some of the words that we'll use. Because I mean that's just you know, that's just in uh, being difficult on purpose. Off. Is there a word for that being difficult on purpose? Obscurantism. <laughs> really? Told you it was a BMF, didn't I?
1: Yeah. Um so uh I think the fact that the, the film is so quotable is a good thing for learners of English because I mean if these lines stick in your head that easily, I think that' All the listeners need to do is trust us on this one, and trust. There's all lots the, of swearing in it. Yes, there is lots of very good, very expressive swearing in it. But people should trust us on this one, and watch it a few times, and start to get to know it. And um, and then when you do that, you'll find that the lines stick in your head. It's very sticky. That the, the script, um, and so uh, maybe it's not. F- we know it's not for everyone, right? It's not for everyone, but there are certain types of people who tend to enjoy uh, this film. And I think these, it is an eighteen. It's an 18-certificate film. an 18-certificate does adults. contain...
3: Well, you should wrap up with the swear Yeah, I will. Because it end. also summarises the plot. Very, I will, I will. I will. way, a way. It's a way. But you I, can follow the story I, through the swearing.
1: I just wanted to say at the end that because it's a cult film, what kind of people usually like this film? And I've, I've narrowed it down to... Uh, these people i think these are the sorts of people who who tend to like with nail and i and if you if you uh find yourself in this description then you should watch the film if this isn't you then you know probably best avoided but i would say that people who like with nail and i are usually educated probably at university they're normally quite well read they've read lots of books and things they probably like a drink or three so someone who's you know who doesn't mind drinking a bit of booze, Uh, someone who's had some wild times, probably involving lots of drink, maybe staying up late and possibly the use of certain illicit substances, but not necessarily. Um, People who have a dark sense of humour or a dry sense of humour, people potentially who've experienced moments of darkness or or confusion. Also, those people who enjoy very colourful swearing, and also rock and roll music and a sort of dandy dress sense. If you like all that kind of stuff, this is the film for you. If you don't like any of those things, then give it a miss and go and watch something else. I will wrap up with the swearathon, which <laughs> is something done on YouTube where all the swearing from Withnal and I has been collected together in about two and a it half
3: it wasn't just done by a geek on youtube it's an official
1: it's an official thing okay it was an official done...
3: thing done for the uh anniversary dvd release which i own so you can hear all the swearing in the film and there's also uh, lots of documentaries about with nell and i yeah they're very interesting which L- explain it much much better than we have i mean yeah. also don't expect to like it the first time you watch it expect to probably not really enjoy it <laughs>
1: really selling it well. But after a while, it's not that kind
3: of film that you're instantly going to love it. It's you need to live with it for a while.
1: For me, just to wrap up, the, the film is about certain flawed, tragic characters that you meet in your life who are incredible people and amazing to spend time with, but they ultimately never amount to anything. It's sort of tragic in that way. It's also about excess and... It is tragic, and there's the best Shakespeare performance, potentially, of all time. That's right. There's a fantastic uh, reading of some lines from Shakespeare at the end of the film, which really give it this kind of um, tragic sense. It's also about sort of excess and hedonism and sort of selfishness, It's about loss of innocence and having to toughen up in order to get on in the world. And it's also about the end of the 1960s idealism and and all that stuff. Guys, thanks for talking to me about Withnail and I. I don't know if we've convinced anyone. We will see in the comments section on the website. Um, But uh, nice to talk to you. Have you drunk more ale since the beginning?
0: I have of late, but wherefore I know not lost all my... Ale. I thought you were going to do all of it. I can do all of it. Do you want to do all all of it? Go on. I have of late, but wherefore I know not lost all my mirth, forgone all custom of exercise, and indeed it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame the earth seems to me a sterile promontory. This most excellent canopy, the air. Look you, this brave overhanging firmament, this majestical roof fretted with golden fire. Why, it appears no other thing than a foul, pestilent congregation of vapors. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable. In apprehension, how like a god. In action, how like an angel. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet to me, what is this? quintessence of dust man delights not me no nor woman neither nor woman
1: neither wow well done that's the uh, that's a fantastic reading of the, the this famous speech from hamlet which is included at the end of the film guys thanks so much for talking to me have a good rest of the evening okay sorry <laughs> no that was great i love that reading okay uh,
3: thanks a lot good thanks, night thanks
1: guys
2: i have a late Wherefore I know not, lost all my mirth, and indeed it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame the earth seems to me a sterile promontory. This most excellent canopy the air, look you, this brave or hanging firmament. This majestic old roof fretted with golden fire. Why, it appeareth nothing to me but a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, how like an angel in apprehension, how like a god, the beauty of the world, pagan of animals... Yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me. No, no women neither. No women neither.
1: What you just heard there is the final scene of the film in which Withnail repeats lines from Hamlet by Shakespeare. And it's quite a tragic ending, but you'll have to watch the film to find out what happens. So that was quite an ambitious episode. I honestly think that this one is just as ambitious as the one that I did about the rules of cricket, which was also very complicated. All the way through that conversation, Uh, this one about with Nal and I, alarm bells were ringing in my head. Now, sometimes I get alarm bells when I'm teaching. From experience, I know what my learners of English will and won't understand. For example, if there's a listening that we're doing in class and it contains a few phrasal verbs or connected speech or a specific accent, then the alarm bells ring in my head. And sure enough, none of my students have understood it. So, for this episode, alarm bells are ringing like mad. I have to say, first of all, the film is like this film is like kryptonite to students of English, um, if you know what I mean. You know, like the way Superman can be destroyed by kryptonite. Um, in in a similar way, you can destroy a group of learners of English with this film. It's like sort of kryptonite for learners of English, speaking from experience of showing the film to to groups of students from time to time. And that's a pity because there is a lot to enjoy. But uh, these are the reasons why the alarm bells are ringing, because I think it's just a difficult film for learners of English. But also because in this conversation, uh, you've been listening to three guys talking with fairly similar voices in a comfortable way, uh, meaning uh, not graded for learners of English to make it easier so that's another reason why it might have been difficult for you and also we're talking about a film that you've probably never seen also the little clips from the film in particular were I'm sure rather difficult to follow so I understand if this has been a difficult one and i've i from the beginning I've Uh, I thought this would be an ambitious episode, okay? This is the sort of thing, the thing we're talking about, and this episode as well, the sort of thing that's difficult when you listen to it the first time, but the more you listen to it, the more rewards you can get from it. And I promise you that. If you now go out and see the film, if you find with Nell and I on the internet or on d v d or something and you watch it, it might be difficult at first. you know you can put the subtitles on in English or in your language, but I recommend that you put them on in English because really this film is all about the script and about the performances of the characters and less about the the story um, so I recommend that you get your hands on this film and watch it. It might be difficult at first, but you could go back to this episode, listen to it again, which might help you to kind of understand more and more. And then you watch the film a second time after having heard this again. And you might find that you kind of crack this film and suddenly you get it and you start to really enjoy it. And it kind of sort of improves your life in a weird way. So I have actually talked about this film on the podcast before. And in fact, I do remember getting a message from a listener who said that she had watched the film on my recommendation with her boyfriend and that now they enjoy repeating lines from the script when they are uh, around the house. So if they can get into it, then I think that you can too. Although, of course, this film is not for everyone. That's why it's a cult film. Um now I've just remembered I promised to play the Withnal and I swearathon um at the end of this episode. A swearathon that's a bit like a marathon, like a long series of things or a long race or something. Um like a marathon, but not uh, it's actually with swearing, so it's a swearathon. Now withnal and I is celebrated for its swearing, and there is a lot of colourful, rude language in this film for the 20th anniversary DVD box set someone edited together all of the swear words from the film in order so every single swear word that appears in the film in order okay this is the Withnail and I swearathon now as you would expect the next minute or so is going to be absolutely filled with swearing okay so brace yourselves you're going to hear lots of very rude words okay so here we go here's the Withnail and I swearathon
2: Bloody. bloody fuck fucker 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 fucking fucks fucking bastard bastard ass wankers wankers fucking punts punts balls bugger punts fucker Ponce. punts Fuck! Bastards! Bastards what fucking fucking And this is shit. Shit's fucking shag sack balls! Fuck off. Piss. Fucking piss. Fucking fucking bastard Fucking, fucking bastard. 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 Shit. Fuck. Fucking bloody bastard Bitch. Arses. Fuck. Bastard.
0: Bastard. Arsehole.
1: Old. Arsehole. Bastard!
2: Brat. Son. Bastard. Bastard! Bastard! bastard. Bloody, bastard. bloody bastard. Fucking bastard! Turns fucking shattered. Blood is so Balls. <laughs> fucking fucking buggers. Bastard. <laughs> Bastard. Buggery. Fucking motherfucker. Fucking
1: piss off. Bloody fuck. So, I think that's probably a. a... Suitable notes on which to end this episode. I very much hope that you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Luke's Film Club on Luke's English Podcast. Check out the page for the episode on the website for some notes, transcriptions, and also a bunch of video documentaries, clips, and interviews that are definitely worth watching if you would like to know more. Thanks for listening and have a great morning, evening, breakfast, lunch, dinner, sleep, commute or run or or drink, whatever it is you're doing. And I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.